Jesus, Jesus. guys could just enter in with me to that just uh, that sitting before his feet place, that resting place, that, uh, that posture that we are talking about this morning. <clears throat> Such an amazing truth. You can maybe turn the mic down a little bit, Ash. <clears throat> Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, thank you, Lord. That that beholding his face place. <laughs> that coming to him for no other reason but him place. The place of lovers. <clears throat> Thank you for your presence. God, we thank you that outward expression of worship turns into inward reception of you. We thank you that you always respond, Lord, with yourself and our praise and our thanksgiving. You always fill our praise, Lord. You fill our mouth with praise and then you fill our praise with you. And so we thank you, Lord, that you've not only just filled our praise, but you've filled this place this morning, Lord. You've filled our hearts all over again. Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Father, I pray that you would speak to us this morning, God, that you would soften our hearts to hear and respond. Lord, if there is any spirit that would try to choke out your wind, your, the Ruach of God this morning, I just say the Lord rebuke you in Jesus' name. Any constricting, binding spirit that would not allow us to fully hear and fully receive and fully respond, Lord, I just bind that in Jesus' name. Thank you, Jesus. I thank you that you've met us with mercy this morning, Lord. So, Lord, I pray that you bless the words and that you bless the hearts of the hearers, Lord, that we would respond and receive in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> I love what uh, Phyllis had mentioned this morning and what you guys have been praying and sensing about angels being released. It's the increase of their activity in our life that, uh, that is taking place, but also an awareness of the increase of the activity in our life, that we would become more aware, more tender, even this morning, of the angelic hosts that have been released for your victory for his namesake. Uh, I want to encourage you this morning that God doesn't waste anything. I, I guess I was 
troubled for, and even just over the last couple years of, man, just trying to figure out sometimes, like, just what's going on with me. And sometimes it takes for me just talking it out, you know, so I'm just thankful for people that I could talk with, man, and just, just will listen sometimes, you know, that kind of lets you, I think Larry Randolph told Bill Johnson one time, he said, man, just talk to you, say something. Just keep talking until you actually say something that is, you know, solid. And sometimes that's just what it takes is for us to have relationships and people in our life that just listen to, we talk long enough that we say something, and then it's like, whoa. You know, and the Lord breathes on that thing that you, but he doesn't waste anything, and I can trust him in the darkness, right? It's is like mercy. And I, I'm starting to see like the Easter lily spring forth. And what an amazing example of mercy that it is that even underneath the cold, frigid, frozen ground where it seems like nothing would be taking place, here's God working in his mercy, bringing forth the seed that eventually is going to break through into the beauty that we get to behold. And I'm so thankful that he doesn't waste anything. And that's the same tenderness and the same mercy that I know that he's been working on in my life and in my heart. It's like under the, you know, we sing the song, even when I don't see him, he's working. And even when I don't feel him, he's work, you know, he's working. He never stops. He never stops working. And I could trust that he's a good father that when I don't see him and it doesn't make sense and it's hard and I'm seeming like I'm all over the place, and I could trust him to keep me. I could trust him to continue to work on my heart. And I think that that's just the season of mercy that we've been through and we can begin to see that breaking forth through the hard, fallow ground. We could see that promise that he has given us. <clears throat> on the way down to church this morning, I heard in my heart, it's the season for softening and it's a time for tenderness. And there's just this breaking up of fallow ground taking place. And I think it's in Jeremiah 4, he says that you shall swear that the Lord, he lives in truth, judgment, and righteousness. And he goes on and he gives us this declaration this call to sanctify yourself unto the Lord. He says, I've seen you've broken up fallow ground and now surrender yourselves to me all over again. <clears throat> There is this grace. I mean, grace changes everything. I think we could all agree. Like, we could try great things, and maybe it's even things that the Lord puts on our hearts to do. And really, until grace comes, man, it kind of seems like, for me, it's just beating on a door. And But the amazing thing is that it's even kind of like maybe a test of our own hearts. And in, in Matthew 7, Jesus says, Knock, and it will be open. Seek, and you'll find. Ask, and you'll receive. And it's kind of like when you break that down, it really is kind of knock and keep knocking, right? It's not just a one-time thing. It's like you knock and you keep knocking until that door is open. You ask and you keep on asking until you receive and you seek and you keep on seeking until you find. And, and the mystery of the kingdom is that when we knock and we keep knocking until it's open, once it's open, we know that there's more and we keep knocking. It's like this progressive revelation and this continual relationship that even when we find, it's, we find more of him that causes us. And, and, and it, it creates a longing our, in our hearts to keep on seeking that we would find him over and over. Rick said something a couple weeks ago and it was so tr so funny because it was so true for me, and I just knew exactly what he meant. He said, maybe ministry, and this is probably a bad 
quote of it, but he said, maybe ministry is just finding like the one thing that you come alive in and kind of just digging into that and preaching that and speaking about that for your whole life. You know, the temptation is to try to always come up with something new and something fresh. And maybe it's just the one thing that God has put in your heart to do that, man, there's just this continual you know, we find a treasure in a field and we sell all, all of our stuff to buy this field and we just dig in this place, you know? And I want to encourage you, everybody has that. You might not be called to pulpit ministry, but we all have a ministry, right? We all have something that God has put so deeply in our hearts and I want to encourage you, don't come off that. You know, if it's the Lord speaking to you about, man, even just the things like declaring and, and uh and there's, there's like, we need that, you know, that's a word for us, uh, whatever it might be. Forsake all to get more of that thing. And he said it and I chuckled because I was like, wow, man. He, obviously, you, like you get that. And it's just a profound truth that we would just be so tender and listen to what the Lord speaks to us and forsake all other things to go after that one thing. Billy Graham, actually, to the, to the degree of this, that Billy Graham was asked a few years before he passed away, he's like, Billy, if you could do anything over again, what would you do? And his response was, I would preach more on the blood and the cross. You know, and if you know anything about Billy Graham's ministry, I mean, that's what his life was given to. That's all his message was ever, was to preach about the blood and the cross. And he's like, man, if I could do it all over, I would do more of that thing that I was called to do. And so I feel like that's the grace and the season and the returning that we're actually in right now. Uh, Rick and Phyllis had mentioned a teaching from David Herzog, and I don't know if you guys got a chance to listen to it. I haven't yet, but, but when you hear like that, when you hear a word from the Lord, it just does something, and there's such a witness in your spirit that it's just time to do again the things that we did in the beginning. It's just time to do again the things that we did in the beginning, and there's just a grace on it this time to start again, and, and maybe some of you have never stopped, and if you've never stopped, it's just time to continue to do what you've always did. Rick said on January 15th, and it, and it, it stuck out to me so much that I had wrote it down and, and, uh, and the date. He said, we need to stay in what got us in. And, and for me, thank you, Jesus. <clears throat> Try this. For me, it was such a truth. It was really an arrow. You know, we know the, the story in Kings when Elisha tells the king to grab a bow. All right, open a window, and he tells the king to put his hand on the bow, and Elisha puts his hand on the bow, and he fires this arrow, right? And this is for Israel's deliverance, but it's still the same kind of effect. And if we could take this arrow that is called stay in what got us in, right? This arrow was shot out that morning as a declaration, as a prophetic direction for us. And we could grab this arrow. And if we will strike the ground with this arrow of let's stay in what got us in, right? Even Elisha, the king strikes the ground three times. He's like, man, if you would have struck the ground maybe five or six times, you really would have seen, you really would have seen breakthrough. And I think sometimes the enemy, we will try to do what got us in or we will try to do what we've seen fruit on and we'll try to do what life, what there was life on and the enemy wants to attack that thing specifically. So we try it and it doesn't go the way maybe we thought it would and we kind of pull up for a moment. 
But if we will, as, as an individualized um, commitment and as a body, if we will see and, and see this prophetic shot that was sent out of, of we need to stay in what got us in, I'm telling you that if we will strike the ground continuously, it's who we are, it's who you are. I mean, we together as a fellowship are this, and I'll kind of get into what that is a little bit, but we are a strike the ground kind of people. I'll say that you haven't got to the place you are because you tried something a couple times and then decided to do something different. And like, you are who you are because it's your determination in those places to keep doing the thing that God has put in your heart to do. And for me, what the challenge was, really, it was kind of a rebuke and a challenge for me that morning when I heard him say, you need to stay in what got you in because I was thinking, like, Lord, I, I ain't in what, I, what got me in. And, and all of today is, is just out of this personal confession, but there's a grace on it, and I needed to hear that. I need to get back to what got me in. I know, in, in talking with Kenny often and, I would say, man, I just don't feel like me. You know, it was like what I kept saying. Like, I just don't feel. The phrase was, I I feel like I have forgotten how to be me. It was what I would keep saying, you know. And it's because I had stopped doing what is me. (laughs) And it was a simple thing, right? I mean, and I tried it before, and it just, I would try and just couldn't enter in. I just couldn't enter in. And it was like the Lord bringing me through this journey of like, will you trust me? I want you to keep knocking until it's open and I want you to keep seeking until you find and I want you to keep asking until you receive and then once all of those things take place, can I trust you to keep on knocking and seeking and finding? Because I know myself, sometimes I'll knock, man, until it's open and then once it's open, I kind of am like in cruise mode a little. I kind of get a little bit complacent then. We need to get back to what got us in. I want to read out of uh, Jeremiah. You don't have to turn here, but Jeremiah 6.16 says this. Stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. And I think the temptation of the time we're living in, like I said, of all the pressures that we have, listen, if we try to be too relevant in the world, I'll never have an impact in the kingdom. However, if my focus is to have kingdom impact, if I want to be relevant before my Father in heaven, I will have influence around me in the world that man could never open doors to. My focus can't to be to be relevant in the world or I'll miss the kingdom. But if my attention and my purpose is to come before the king only and to serve him and to walk out what he has put in my heart, I'm telling you, he will open doors in the world that no man could shut. Stand in the ways and see. And here's the thing. It's so specific. It says, and ask for the old paths. Here's this asking again. It's like, Lord, will you bring me back to the place? Listen, the song Amazing Grace, um, I think it's the second verse where it says, "How, how precious did the grace appear the hour I first believed. And I don't know about you guys, but I can remember the hour 
that I first believed. And there was a grace that came upon my life that just I knew I was clean. I knew I was free. I knew I was loved. And there was, that was the power hour. The hour I first believed, there was a grace that came upon every single one of us. Let's stand in the ways and see and ask for the old path where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. And I want to parallel this verse with Revelation chapter 2. Because what happens next, Israel doesn't heed this, this call, right? They don't heed this call to, to ask for the old path. It says this in verse 16, but they said, we will not walk in it. They refused to do what the prophet was calling for them to do in this moment. Verse 17, it says, Also I set watchmen over you, saying, Listen to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, We will not listen. Therefore, hear you nations, and know, O congregation, what is among them. Hear, O earth, behold, I will certainly bring calamity on this people, the fruit of their thoughts, because they have not heeded my words, nor my law, but rejected it. And obviously, I'm not, I'm not speaking this over us that if we don't seek the old ways and God is going to bring this on us, but there's a mystery revealed in what we did in the beginning. There's a mystery in the ancient paths, and let's just hear and see. Let's, let's stand in these places and see. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 2. we need to stay in what got us in. And this is why I'm so excited even about just the awareness of angelic activity in our life because right here in the first verse of chapter 2 says this, to the angel of the church of Ephesus. We need angelic assistance in our walk with the Lord. It's not a... um, hyper-spiritual thing. We need the activity of angels in and around our life. Write these things. says, He who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and, and are not, and have found them liars. Verse 3, And you have preserved and have patience, uh, and you have labored for my name's sake, and have not become weary. Verse 4, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Now, up really until this point, I, I, that was like a religious verse for me. I couldn't grasp what was really being said because I was in this place between Lord, I don't feel like I've ever stopped loving you. And then it would, I would try to do things in order to gain back the love, right? And I was really never able to break into uh, the simplicity of the verse. And then the Lord said to me the one day, he says, I want you to return to doing the things that you love to do with me in the beginning. And if I would have just read one more verse... I would have found out that's exactly what the Lord is saying next. And usually there's always another verse. So I probably should have kept reading. But it says in verse 5, Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. Right? So there's part of me that 
that was crying out, Lord, I want, to, I want to be back in that place where I was and I want to do the things that I did in the beginning and, and I just couldn't make the connection. And, and it's the, the season that we're kind of entering into with the grace that's upon us that we are able to now respond because of the grace that's upon our life that empowers us now to walk out what God is really calling us to do. I have this against you, he says, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works. Or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. So we can kind of see this parallel with back in Jeremiah chapter 6 when, you know, people said, listen, I'm, I'm not going to walk in it. I'm not going to listen to the trumpet blast. And the Lord goes ahead and he says, well, then calamity is going to come upon you people. The same similar kind of thing is happening here. I will come upon you quickly and I'll remove your lampstand from his place unless you repent. But this you have, that you have hated the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who, has a hear, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the, the paradise of God. Which even that phrase, paradise of God, in, in Persian language, it translates to the garden of God. And I know that the Lord is calling us all together to two places. He is calling us back to the altar and he's calling us back to the garden. And, and even in our name, right, it's this place of partaking in fellowship with the altar of God. And, and I'll get into that in a minute. But I know that the Lord is calling us back to these two places. For each of us, it may look different. I believe that the Lord wants to mark us this morning and he's gonna make it very clear that I do wanna have an altar call and I do wanna have all of us respond. And I believe that you will know where the Lord is calling you to be based upon whether you feel the fire of his presence on the altar or you will feel the cool of the day come upon you and you know that the Lord is calling you back to the garden. And perhaps the doorway to the garden for you, like, like myself, is, is the altar. Right? I know that the Lord is calling me, son, crawl back up on the altar. Allow the fire of my presence to come and burn up the chaff that is in your life. This is so amazing. God wants to move us. It's not that where you were is wrong. It's not that where I was was wrong. It's just that there's more. And we have to leave something behind in order to get there. Why? Because we can only live where we've died. I can't truly be alive in him in the places that I come alive in unless I've died. There has to be a falling away of, there has to be a strip, every grain of wheat, every grain of wheat has chaff around it that is no good. It doesn't mean that what you've, every bit of success has chaff. It all has something that needs left behind. It all has something that needs burnt away from it. It's not that it's even bad, it's just, it's unnecessary. All success has chaff. Everything we grow in or towards needs something burn away from it. Which means every bit of progress we make has something that needs disregarded. And not knowing that, not knowing that has us actually embracing things that the Lord wants to set us free from. They aren't evil things. They're just unnecessary things. I believe the Lord will bring us into a place of personal intimacy and breakthrough this morning in a way that is fresh 
there is a door to freshness for all of us this morning. It doesn't mean that where I was is wrong. It just means that there's more. I cannot live where I have not died. That's the simplicity of, you, this is the stuff that I moved away from, you guys. This is the stuff that I moved away from and I became complacent. Man, I still came and I still was on the worship team and I still sang the songs, but my heart was divided. My heart was complacent. It was orthodox, it was routine, you know. I would come and I would do the stuff, but man, I had grew past my passion. I had allowed the fire on my altar to go out. It was the simplicity of the gospel of, man, this thing calls me to come and die. I can't have both. I can't have everything I want and not, of, and not have the, I don't want to even call it suffering, but I remember Graham Cook said once that change is only painful because I resist it. And the things that he calls me to lay down and let go of, it's only painful because my flesh doesn't want those things to be laid down. But that's the thing that I need to crucify, right? That's, that's the instruction that if I really want to be a disciple of Jesus, if I really want to look like him and talk like him and love like him, and, well, man, it bids me to come and to die. I need to deny myself daily. I need to take up my cross. And, man, this was the language that I lived in, right? I, I love the language of that. And somewhere along the line, I thought, man, I could have this and not this but I had become complacent in my heart. The place that he's calling us back to to do is the things that seem like they uh, had died in our life. So when he invites us to come deeper, there needs to be that abandonment. We come with that surrender to him all over again. Not meaning that something's wrong, but until we know, we just don't know that we've been holding on to things that are unnecessary for the purpose and plan of God in our life. The, um, the Ephesians, in all of this, they were doing so many great things. He encourages them that they understood spiritual authority, unusually so. They could spot false apostles. They could bring adjustment to order and structure, and they did that well. And in the order and structuring of things, they had lost a passion. It's almost like that they forgot that order and structure must come out of romance and intimacy with Jesus. Maria had said last week, and I hope I, I do it justice what she said, but she said, Trust is like the greatest form of intimacy that we could have with the Lord. And I remember I heard Jason Upton say a few years ago, he said that trust is the greatest form of worship. And so I could trust the Lord. The uh, tactic of the enemy sometimes is, you know, when we go to cast off something, usually the enemy likes to, to stand in front of us and make us think that I will be exposed um, and uncovered for a moment. It's almost like if you cast this off, people are really going to see who you really are, right? That's, that's why I don't mind being transparent. And if you guys remember the first time I gave my testimony uh, here, I, before I even started coming, I think I called it power and transparency, right? It's because I don't, 
there, I, I understand that there's this moment where I decide to cast off what I know needs cast off, and it's, it's a, as I cast it off, instantly I'm cloaked with mercy and grace. There's no, the enemy has no opportunity to stand in front of me and, and accuse me. Um, he tries to, but if I understand that, man, it's my failures, my shortcomings, my sin, it's already not just forgiven, but forgotten by the Lord. I don't have to stand condemned. I don't have to stand in judgment and, and shame. And maybe that's something that's been holding you back. Maybe there's things in your heart. Listen, the Lord sees it all anyways. He sees it all anyways. But they, they understood this structure, and sometimes we could just do the structure thing. We could do the, uh, uh, the order thing, but we're, we know that it needs to come out of a place of intimacy and, and romance with the Lord. It's keeping things tender. It's keeping things <clears throat> simple. The Apostle Paul talks about the simplicity, the devotion to Christ. And this, for me, was one of the, one of the first things. And it's all about grace. That's the sense that I have this morning, is that there's a grace to step into the first things all over again. And this time I know that I need to remain childlike because one thing that I have been thinking about, it's not only how I started, but I've also asking the Lord, how do I finish? Because it's not really about how I started, man. I need longevity in this race, right? I mean, I need to finish well. I need to finish well. And we could find throughout scripture guys who started amazing and they did not end so well. One of those guys that I wanna uh, talk about this morning is King Hezekiah. Hezekiah did so great. He did so good. He was one of the greatest reformers that we've probably ever had in, in, in history. He tore down false places of worship. He tore down idols. He restored Davidic worship. He was a good and faithful king. He reopened the doors to the temple of God, brought back the priests to minister. And he was even able to keep his people from being taken into captivity. But something happened to him where he had lost the tenderness of heart. He lost the fire. He still maintained routine and probably still gave the sacrifice unto the Lord, still had the songs, the worship, but something happened in his heart. He has this history when faced with crisis or trial, he would cry out to God, surrounded by enemy nations, absolutely ready to destroy. He cries out to God, God gives prophetic direction and he delivers them. But if you remember that King Hezekiah also became complacent. When the son of the king of Babylon comes to Hezekiah and he wants to see all of his treasures, right? He wants to see all of his gold. He wants to be taken into the place of, of intimacy. King Hezekiah opens his doors wide open for the enemy to come into the inner place. And I think so often I allow the enemy too quick of access into my secret place, into my thoughts, my intentions, my motives, and I entertain him far too long. Isaiah comes on to sing and he comes to King Hezekiah and he says, what all did you show him? What all did you show him? And King Hezekiah responds, well, man, I showed him everything. As a matter of fact, there wasn't one thing I didn't show him. Isaiah gives him this word and he says, because you have done that, because you have done that, you won't see it in your lifetime, King Hezekiah, but there's a time that come that your treasures will be stolen, taken away to Babylon, your sons will be taken away to Babylon, everything you built will be destroyed. And here's what a complacent heart does when it's time to war, and I'm, I'm, I'm not gonna speak it over my life that I'm guilty of this, but it's this confession 
this is what a complacent heart will look like. He gets this word. His response, Hezekiah's word to Isaiah is, that's a, that's a good word, man. That's a good word. I'm not going to see it in my lifetime. I'm going to die with peace. My hands are off it. It's this place of complacency that, you know what, if he, if he had not allowed his heart to become complacent, there would have been a fight in him. There would have been this cry for repentance that would have taken place that he knew. It's not even about us right now. I mean, look at the babies and the children in the room. Right? I, I'm, it's almost like I need to be awakened to the point to where I'm saying not on my watch. It's not going to take place on my watch. Well, I might have to war for my whole life for them to enter into peace, but I'm certainly not going to allow myself to say, hey, man, I'm going to have peace even if they have war. A complacent heart will say when it's time to fight, man, I'm just going to back out of this one. I'm just going to be done with this. But the Lord doesn't want us to just fight um, without giving us something. Right? There's this freshness that he wants to bring into our lives, the things that we did in the beginning that made you wild. What happened when you were first born again and you were wild for Jesus, it's going to be that same intensity. It's going to be that same kind of presence in your life. It's going to be that same kind of passion and fire in your life. He had failed to respond with childlike faith to get the breakthrough. Sometimes we grow past our passion. Sometimes we grow past the fire that is in us. And I'm saying all of this, again, just as a personal confession and determination to make sure to return to keeping things simple. I need to keep things simple here. I think sometimes the greatest journey I will ever have to make in this walk is for the distance between my head and my heart. Because I can't win it up here. We didn't get to where we are because we were really smart. <laughs> we got to where we are because we really were wild and childlike in following your heart. And these are the things that the Lord wants to call us back to. All success has chaff. It is good, but it has something worth burning. And I believe that the Lord this morning wants to have us have these things burn away. We have to kind of ask ourselves a question. Of what are you in this for? And that's like a silly question, but like why did we come this morning even, right? Why did we get up and choose to come to church? And why am I choosing to not do the things that I used to do? They're, they would have been they they would be a lot easier, let me tell you, to do the things I did before I was saved. And these are questions that I'm asking myself. And I want to read this from Brother Lawrence. Um, for me, this was a first thing. And somewhere along the line, my heart grew from this statement that he makes. And I want this, I want all of us to kind of grab hold of this this morning. This is what Brother Lawrence writes about his walk with the Lord. He says, I engaged in a religious life only for the love of God. And I have endeavored to act only for him. Whether Whatever becomes of me, whether I be lost or saved, I will always continue to act purely for the love of God. I shall have this good at least, that till death I shall have done all that is in me to love him. 
Bill Johnson says that in Matthew 6.33, he says, uh, Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. And he breaks it down, and it's such, such a powerful statement. He says, when you seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all these things will be added unto you. The Lord takes care of all of these things. He says, but if you seek the things, you miss both. You will miss out on the kingdom, and you will miss out on the things. And I thought, wow, what a powerful statement that is. That I can't seek, just I can't come to him for what he could do to me or I'll miss what he could do for me and I'll miss him. And it's just coming back to the simplicity of the gospel, the laying down of my life. Matthew 7 says that wide is the gate and easy is the way that leads to destruction and many go in by it. He says, but narrow is the gate and difficult is the way that leads to life and few find it. And I'm saying for my life, I'm asking the Lord, Lord, will you help me tighten up the lane that I'm supposed to walk in? Lord, will you make it to where I can't even move one step to the right or to the left? Because I wanted, I wanted it's really not freedom. I ended up in, in greater bondage than, you know, than I would have if I would have stayed in a, on a narrow way. But to have a little leeway, left or right, right? To get a little complacent, left or right, is, it's not as easy uh, as we hope it would be, right? That's the deceiving thing about sin, kind of, is that you think that it will make you feel better, and then once sin happens, you find out it makes you feel worse than what you were before you sinned. <clears throat> this is in our name, and I'm so thankful that Rick shared this a couple uh, weeks ago about praying and fasting, about fellowship of the beloved, and I, I looked up the Greek meanings of these words, and I'm sure you guys have as well, but this word fellowship out of 1 John, it's the word koinonia. And if you guys know what a picture of koinonia really looks like, it's like this, this inner mingling of two hands that are just being put together. They, they just fit so well together. This is koinonia, and this is what it means. This is amazing that he prayed this, you know, and this is what your guys' name has been. Our name has been for, for a while. This is what it means in the Greek. Partnership, participation, intimacy, Communion, communication, distribution, contribution to communicate, a having in common, a having in common partnership, a fellowship, to share which one has in any and everything, fellowship recognized and enjoyed, a participation in the knowledge of the Son of God, of sharing in the realization of the effects of the blood, the blood of Christ in the body of Christ as set forth by the emblems in the Lord's Supper, participation in what is derived from the Holy Spirit, of participation in the sufferings of Christ, sharing in the resurrection life possessed in Christ, also of the fellowship with the Father and the Son, also of the impossibility of the communion between light and darkness, fellowship manifested in Acts, the furtherance of the gospel by gifts. So if you look up who we are, that's what we are. That's the heart of this people, is everything right there. That's koinonia, or uh, koinonia. The next Greek word is koinoninos, and it actually means this, to be partakers of the altar. So it's the same root word of fellowship, and it means to be partakers of the altar. And when you look at beloved, beloved is 
agapetos, which is just a root word, agape. You know, it's the agape love of God. It's, it's not a love that we know of as being emotional or dependent upon this person's thing. This is the love that the Father had towards the Son. This is the love that the Father has had towards the entire world that he gave his only Son. This is the words, fellowship of the beloved. This is who we are. And I believe that the Lord wants to return us to this place of simplicity to where I'm going to just grab it for myself. If it applies to you, take it. I don't want to fall into the routine of doing things. I want to do things with purpose and intention, being led by the Lord only. And I want to believe that as God is moving us forward, as he's moving us deeper, again, you might be awesome with the Lord and you might be doing exactly what you did in the beginning. Praise God. I know that he's calling you back to the garden. A place of just simply resting and abiding in this unbreakable union and fellowship and you are met by the cool of the day. And you could walk with him unhindered. It's, I mean, he's calling us back to the altar and he's calling us back to the garden. So if we could put that other song on, Esther, if we could do that, I want to just take some time and pray this morning. I think it was at the men's retreat when I had um, talked last. And I asked this question. Is Jesus my primary pursuit? Thank you. Is Jesus my primary pursuit? Do I pursue him for only what he can do for me instead of because he is worthy of my whole life? And Rick mentioned it during worship. I mean, Paul gives us this command to present ourselves holy and acceptable unto the Lord as a living sacrifice. And he says, it's your reasonable service. Like saying like, hey man, the least you could do is give him all of your life. That's like the least I could do. And I, I know he's had my heart, but he wants my life. He wants the decisions I make, the choices I make, the moves I make. The, he wants my entire life. And I'm not saying that he hadn't had it, but I know that there was a time where I had picked it back up. And I wanna to come to the altar this morning and I wanna lay it down. Summer goes into this prophetic singing, man, lay it all down, lay it all down. I want to lay it all down because I know that the place that I've been in isn't even compared to be with, with the glory that he wants to reveal in us. Right, the sufferings of this present time, not even worthy to be compared with the glory that he has promised to reveal to us and to reveal through us. And we want the, the breakout of his presence in, in, our, in our homes, in our church. I've read this before, but it's worth reading again. John Wesley had asked his mom, Susan Wesley, one day what sin was, and this was her response. This is what I'm, this is what I'm laying down. This is the chaff that I'm talking about. Whatever weakens your reasoning impairs the tenderness of your heart. I want to tell you a story. The, it obscures your sense of God. That's okay, guys. If you want, you could just fast forward it right past that part and no problem. Thank you, Jesus. 
Whatever weakens your reasoning and pairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures the sense of God, or takes away your relish for spiritual things, in short, if anything increases the authority of the flesh over the spirit, that to you becomes sin, however good in itself it seems. Father, I thank you for your grace this morning, Lord. The call to return to the first things. Lord, the beckoning to return to our first love. Lord, and the grace that you've put on it to be able to finally break through. You wanna talk about breakthrough, Lord. I'm thankful for the breakthrough that I get to enjoy sitting with you again. Thank you, Lord. Whatever that first thing was for you, it doesn't have to look like my first thing. It doesn't look, have to look like your wife or your husband's first thing. It's your first thing. And it's just time to start to do that again. feel that it's imperative for all of us to respond this morning. Um, so as you just feel led, let's just come to the altar. Let's just come willing to allow the fire of God. So listen, it could be worry, it could be unbelief, it could, you, there might be sin in your life that you know that you just have not got free from. I'm saying that this morning, that the fire of God in the cool of the day is gonna come upon you in a way that you will see breakthrough in that sin, be broken off of your life, over your thought life. It will be cleansed and healed this morning in Jesus' name. The heart wounds, God is gonna bind you up with oil and wine this morning, and you will be set free to a deeper level. The things that you thought you would just struggle with and deal with the rest of your life, the Lord is drawing a line this morning and he's saying no more. That the fire of my presence in the cool of the day is coming to you this morning. You are returning to the altar and you are returning to the garden. Thank you, Lord. Jesus, return us to our first love. Lord, we willingly let go and lay down everything that you're wanting to burn up. We thank you for the grace to step in, Lord, and respond this morning. Whoa. Yeah, thank you, Lord. I feel the cold of the day even just settling in now, Lord. Thank you for the sweetness of your presence, Lord. Thank you, Lord. 
if you need to repent from falling away from your first love, the Bible says to remember from where you had fallen and repent and then do the first works. So Lord, we set our hearts towards repenting this morning. We remember what it was like in the beginning, Lord, when we were full of fire and passion and we repent, Lord, for falling from that place. And we thank you would receive the grace and the mercy to just step in to do the things over. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. You guys, come. Come, 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 come. Lay it all down. Come lay it down. Come lay it down. Jesus, thank you. Lord, I pray for faith, Lord. God, everything that would hinder us from, from responding this morning, Lord, I break it in Jesus' name. True freedom lies at the altar of God this morning. True freedom lies at his altar. It lies at his feet. Fire of God, come and burn us up. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I, yeah, right now the Lord is even renewing and restoring dreams. Thank you, Jesus. He's restoring gifts. He's giving grace to the, the gifts of God. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we humble ourselves. We respond in faith, Lord. fire of God come. Lord, let the fire of your presence come. Angelic hosts of heaven come. Holy Spirit come. Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your fire. Increase, increase, increase. Lord, the fire of God be increased now in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. More, more, more. You guys just begin to speak with the Lord. Just begin to speak with the Lord as you're up here. Thank you, Jesus. 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 Sometimes when the spirit is so strong during worship, I, I hate to start talking. It seems like you interrupt the, the spirit. But uh, communion is not an interruption of the spirit or of his presence. So continue to worship in your heart. And If you've ever seen those big uh, Greek Orthodox churches, um, I was reading about the Eastern Orthodox churches they take Lent very seriously and they take fasting very seriously they say uh, less eating and more praying and they have something that's really cool at the beginning of Lent and it's called Forgiveness Sunday and they gather for a ceremony and uh, they have what's called Forgiveness Vespers and you turn to one another and ask for forgiveness and then you come up front and the priest says that God forgives you and he reads um, from Matthew chapter 6 and verses 14 and 15. It says, For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, the heavenly Father will not forgive you your sins. 
passage teaches us that we're to be reconciled with one another if we intend to be reconciled with God. And they, they do this during this ceremony before Lent because it's a time when they expect us to be together. It's, it's a time when we learn to go through trials together if you struggle with other people during Lent. And of course, it's a message on forgiveness. They also read this, a fast without mutual love is a fast of demons. We do not travel the road of Lent as isolated individuals, but as members of a family. Our fasting should not separate us from others, but it should link us to them, and it should create ever stronger bonds. That's another teaching about Lent and what it means to be a family of believers. When Adam and Eve first sinned in the garden, they were separated from God and they didn't have the opportunity to walk and talk with him or have communion with him. And our sin does the same thing, it separates us. And what, what reunites us or reconciles us, there's many things and it can be going through struggles together, trials together, going through Lent together, worshiping together, praying together, taking communion together. What reconciles us is forgiveness. And you can come to the table this morning and don't need a priest to tell you you're forgiven. You can take it up directly with the Father. He's here to meet you. In the bread is reconciliation and in the cup is forgiveness. So come this morning and eat and drink of it.